0: Good morning. It's great to be here this morning. I want to say special good morning to the Stone Canyon campus and to the Verdigris campus. Now, I don't know if there's any special spring break perks here at the North Garnett campus or at the Verdigris campus, but a perk at the Stone Canyon campus is that we get to leave everything set up today. Yes. So I have to pause right here because right now they're cheering and they're excited and they're standing on their chairs having a big celebration out at the Stone Canyon campus. So we get to leave everything set up. So that's exciting. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jake and I'm the campus minister at the Stone Canyon campus. And my wife's name is Christy. And if you know her, you know that she is a phenomenal piano player. She started taking lessons when she was six years old and she hasn't stopped playing since then. She took lessons all through elementary school and in junior high and high school, and uh, her college degree is actually a Bachelor of Music in Piano Performance, and she's competed in countless contests and, and played in a variety of shows and concerts and recitals and worship settings. And shortly after we were married, we were living in Virginia, and I was on staff at a, at a church out there, and Christy decided that she was going to start teaching piano lessons, and we thought this was a good idea, and there was a family in our church who just had this old piano that they wanted to get rid of, and they said we could have it, so we, we moved that old piano into our little country house that was right beside the church, and we started to advertise that piano lessons were available to the community, and it wasn't too long before Christy had a lot of students. She had like over 30 students at one point, and we were really excited about this, and um, there were many, many times that I would sit in another room in our house while Christy was teaching piano lessons, and I would be hearing the lessons, and I, I couldn't help but think of how great of a piano teacher she was. I mean, it sounded like the kids were having a great time, and uh, there was like laughter, and they were learning a lot, and candy was being handed out generously, and uh, she wasn't slapping anybody's hands when they messed up or anything like that. It just seemed like this really, really great time, and, and uh, she was, I, I just felt like what a great teacher she was. And those first few months of that were great. But then something happened. Every once in a while, a student would quit and uh, it wouldn't be long before we would fill that slot again, so it was kind of no big deal to me. There was always kids kind of on a waiting list, and always someone else to fill that slot, but just, you know, every once in a while, some students just, they just wouldn't stick with it. One day, I noticed that Christy was kind of upset. I noticed something was bothering her, and I asked her what was wrong. She told me that she felt like a failure as a piano teacher, and I, I couldn't believe it, because like I said, I, I thought everything was going great. I could hear the lessons. I was witnessing them firsthand. The kids were learning a lot. They were having, a f- they were having fun. Um, we had over 30 students. I thought that's really successful. So I asked, why in the world does she feel that way? I asked her, why do you feel that way, that you're, that you're a failure as a piano teacher? And she said, well, because every once in a while kids are quitting. Why are they quitting? What's wrong with me? And just like any loving husband would do, I looked her in the eyes and I said, Of course they're quitting. Everybody quits piano lessons, right? I mean, walk down the street, ask anybody, did you take piano lessons? And they'll say, yes. And you'll say, did you quit? And they'll say, yes. I mean, it happens all the time. I took piano lessons. I had a great teacher, but I quit two years in. So I looked at her and I said, you're the only weird one that stuck with it. You're the exception to the rule. Now, in that moment, a couple surprising things happened. One was she overlooked that I called her weird, which was great. Uh, And the second was she admitted that I was right, which is also a surprising thing for me. Um, We're going to be talking a lot today about perseverance. Perseverance can be defined as steadfastness in doing something despite delay or difficulty in achieving success. Steadfastness in doing something despite delay or difficulty in achieving success. Very few people persevere through learning the piano and becoming great at it. Why is that? Well, for most of us, it's not easy. It continually gets harder and harder, and it's a slow process, and sometimes there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and it's really easy to get distracted by these other activities that we have in our lives. It just takes a lot of work. Christy and a few others have persevered, and they've become great. But myself, along with millions, including a lot of you, I bet, I see hands raised, (laughs) let's be honest, we're quitters. Now my favorite sport is football, and my favorite team are the Cincinnati Bengals. day! I'm the only one in this room that knows what that means. But I was almost converted to becoming a Green Bay Packers fan. I hear a couple of cheers. A couple of years ago, when I had the uh, uh, opportunity to tour historic Lambeau Field. Many of you have heard of uh, uh, Green Bay's legendary coach, Vince Lombardi. He has got a ton of awesome quotes, and one of them is this. He said, the man on top of the mountain didn't fall there. I think that's great. It takes a lot of perseverance to get to the top of a mountain. You just don't end up there. So our question this morning is, have you ever persevered through something? When you take a look at your life, has there ever been a time where you were faced with challenges that seemed insurmountable, but against all odds, you kept fighting and you kept pushing forward and you hung in there and you, and you pressed on until you were eventually successful? And you look back on it now and you think, wow, that was the stuff that movies are made of. They should make a movie about me and my life. Maybe it's easier for us, though, to actually answer this question. Have you ever quit? When you take a look at your life, has there ever been a time where you just flat out gave up? You knew that What Light Ahead was going to be super difficult. It was going to be hard. It was going to take a lot of time. And after you gave it some thought, you just realized that it would be easier if you said, you know what, I'm done. I just don't think it's worth it. And so you just walked away. I think we can find encouragement from God to persevere through many different situations in our lives, even situations like playing the piano or, or climbing a mountain or any number of other challenges that we face. But today, as we look at chapters 13 and 14 in the book of Acts, I want us to consider the importance of perseverance in reference to our walk with God and the, the plan and the purpose of and the mission that he has for each of us. And I hope that as we kind of fly through these two chapters, you will see the the highs and the lows of being on mission, and you will pick out a few things that stand out to you, as things you can really hold on to, as bits of encouragement, as you struggle and persevere through the mission that God has put in front of you. So just for a little recap, a couple weeks ago, Jared spoke to us about a guy named Saul and this amazing conversion experience that he had. And uh, Saul went from a guy who was hunting down Christians and having them killed to a, a guy who, was, who, was, who became a Jesus follower himself, and a, a very popular one even today. Then last week, just kind of following the order of the chapters through the book of Acts, Matt brought us this message about a guy named Peter in Acts chapter 10. Today we're going to pick back up, right in chapter 13, just going right in order, just four short chapters since Saul had this amazing conversion experience and his life was forever changed. Now, if you're like me and you're reading through the book of Acts, you kind of feel like all of this is happening super quick, like it's just boom, 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 one thing right after another. But in reality, a lot of this is taking a lot of time to play out and unfold. In fact, Saul's conversion Um, from Saul's conversion in chapter 9 to the beginning of this first missionary journey in chapter 13 uh, could be somewhere around a decade. Now, we know some very important things happened in that amount of time in the life of Saul, but just kind of keep that amount of time in mind as we we go through it today, because that's going to be important later. So what's going on with Saul in the years since his conversion— to Christianity, as we pick back up with him in chapter 13. Well, first of all, we're going to start calling him Paul this morning. Luke, the writer of Acts, begins to call Saul Paul in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. So we're going to start calling him Paul from this point on to eliminate any confusion. And in chapter 13, we see Paul and this guy named Barnabas, along with many other Jesus followers, in the city of Antioch, and they're spending time together. And they're doing what the church should be doing: they're praying, they're fasting, they're teaching, they're worshiping, they're prophesying, and the Holy Spirit actually speaks to this group of Christians and instructs them to set apart Paul and Barnabas for a specific work. And so they do just that, and Paul and Barnabas set off on a missionary journey along with a helper by the name of John Mark. And one of the first things they do is they sail to the island of Cyprus. And there they, they travel around preaching in the Jewish synagogues. And uh, one interesting thing happens in the city of Paphos. There's this encounter that they have with a Roman political figure by the name of Sergius Paulus and his attendant, who's named bar or also uh, called Alemus. And his attendant is a Jewish sorcerer, like a magician. And I just think, what a pair these two must have been, this Roman political figure and this Jewish sorcerer. And Sergius Paulus was actually interested in hearing the word of God from Paul and Barnabas, so he sends for them so that he can hear their message. Elymas, on the other hand, he's opposed to Paul and Barnabas. He even went so far as trying to turn Sergius Paulus away from a faith in Jesus Christ. And we read in Acts 13.10 that Paul says to Elymas, You are a child of the devil. And an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. So these are some really harsh words from Paul spoken to Alemus. He calls Elamus a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. He says that he is perverting the right ways of the Lord. I don't know everything that Alemus was involved in, but it seems like uh, he was involved in a lot more than just simply having a personality conflict with Paul and Barnabas or something like that. He was actively leading people away from the message of Jesus and his love for them. Acts 13, 11 says, immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul, that's Sergius Paulus, saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So, despite these attempts of Elamus to keep the message of Jesus, at the very least, away from Sergius Paulus, Sergius Paulus actually becomes the first recorded convert to Christ on this first missionary journey. So, things are going well. That's a high of the missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas have, uh, have had a convert, and it's this Roman political figure. So things are going great. From there, the missionaries set sail once again, and they arrive in the city of Perga. And a brief mention of something that is important for us as we study today happens there in that city. Verse 13 says that in Perga, John Mark, he's the guy that's along as a helper to Paul and Barnabas, says that John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. So it kind of raises some questions, what happened, why did John Mark leave, what was going on, why did he leave the group? Later in the book of Acts, we read that Paul actually considered John Mark's departure a desertion. So we don't know why he quit, but he did, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later too, but this is kind of a low of the journey. Something happened, there was some, some reason for someone to desert them. So from Perga, the missionaries travel to a city called Pisidian Antioch. This is different than Antioch, where they began their journey. And Paul preaches a sermon in the synagogue to Jews and to Gentiles, who are worshipers of God. And the sermon is found in chapter 13, verses 16 to 41. And this sermon shows us something really cool about Paul. It shows us that Paul knew exactly what to say, depending on who he was speaking to, based on who his audience was. And we see this over and over and over again throughout Paul's life. Um, And right now, he's speaking to people who who know who God is but need to hear about who Jesus is. So when you read this sermon, you see that Paul gives this brief history of God's work through the Israelite people, and he speaks of Egypt and Exodus and wandering in the wilderness and the promised land, and he speaks of judges and prophets and kings. He ties it all together and points everything towards Jesus. He talks about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. He wraps it all up, makes sure that everyone who's hearing him knows that it's all about Jesus forgiving their sins and uh, an opportunity for eternity in God's presence for those who believe. And Paul's words are so intriguing to those who are hearing him that in verses 42 to 44 it says, As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered, To hear the word of the Lord. So things are good, right? This is really awesome. People invited them back in to talk some more. The whole city is gathered to hear this awesome message. But not so fast, because in verse 45, it tells us that some of Paul's Jewish opponents saw the large crowds. They were so full of jealousy that they began to speak out against what Paul was saying. Paul and Barnabas responded to this by letting them know that it's actually God's plan for them as the Jewish people to hear this message first, but also from this point on uh, many of the Gentiles are going to hear it too and Paul's going to focus in on them and the Gentiles in the crowd are, are extremely glad to hear this news. Verse 48 tells us that some of them became believers because of the message they had just heard, which is awesome. More converts despite the heavy opposition and the message begins to spread throughout the whole region. But once again, check out verses 50 to 52. It says, The Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they get kicked out. This is another low of the journey. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, because there were actually converts. We see a similar scene play out in Iconium. Here, Paul and Barnabas preach to the Jewish synagogue, and both Jews and Gentiles become Jesus followers. That's the good news, but once again, there's a group made up of both Jews and Gentiles who are in opposition to Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas speak boldly. They're enabled by God to do miraculous signs and wonders, but still the city is divided, and a plot eventually comes together to stone Paul and Barnabas, so they flee the city and head to Lystra. Ups and downs, highs and lows. And I love this scene that plays out in Lystra. It's there that Paul and Barnabas meet a man who from birth has never been able to walk. So Paul looks at the man, he sees that he has faith to be healed, and he tells him to get up, and so the man gets up, jumps up, and walks. So obviously this this miracle, this miraculous healing just amazes the crowd, but these people know nothing of the one true God. They're only familiar with the false gods that they worship, and because of this, they mistake Paul and Barnabas for Zeus and Hermes. There was actually a legend there that Zeus and Hermes had visited them once before, and it did not turn out well for them in the end. So this time, they're convinced that this visit from the gods is going to be a good thing, so the priest of Zeus begins to prepare sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. They're quick to put a stop to it, though. They tell the crowd, we're human, just like you. We have good news for you about the one true God and his love for you. And they preached that message to the people of Lystra. So, things are good. But, once again, in verse 19, we read that sometime later, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, the places where they just were, they were followed there, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. And so from there we read that Paul and Barnabas preach in Derby, and then they begin this kind of backtrack back through the cities where they had just been, and eventually they end up back in Antioch, where they began their journey. Let's think back to that definition of perseverance. Perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite delay or difficulty in achieving success. When I read about Paul and Barnabas, and when I read about the first followers of Jesus, and when I read about this first church, I can't help but think about the amount of perseverance that they needed. We could look at the entire book of Acts this way, but today we're just going to draw this out of just these two chapters, and it just really should jump off the pages at us. I mean, let's think about Paul's steadfastness despite delay. The first missionary journey took place many years after his conversion Think about the years that it's taking uh, for this all to play out in his life. And the first journey itself took a considerable, considerable amount of time. We read about this uh, whole journey in just these two short chapters. But think about the amount of time that it actually took to travel the route that they traveled, the miles that they traveled. Think about the time that was taken in each location. They didn't just say a few words and then, and then leave. What about the steadfastness displayed despite difficulty? Traveling the route and traveling this many miles in the ancient world in and of itself was difficult and dangerous at times. Paul and Barnabas had the challenge of figuring out how to connect with the different cultures that they were bringing the message of Jesus to. They were at times talking to Jews who believed in God. They were at times talking to Gentiles who believed in God. They were at times speaking to pagan cultures who even would go so far as to mistake them for gods themselves. Then a member of their team deserted them, and that conflict, according to later chapters in the book of Acts, actually caused a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. So they had these personal difficulties to work through amongst themselves. And above all of that, they were argued with, talked bad about, kicked out of cities, their lives were threatened, and Paul was eventually nearly killed. How is that for a list of delay and difficulty? But yet they stood firm. They persevered. And the two chapters close with this statement found in verse 27 of the 14th chapter of Acts. On arriving there, on arriving back in Antioch, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened a door. Are you kidding me? In the world that we live in today, any one of those delays or difficulties would be labeled a closed door by most American Christians. Think about this. It might play out something like this today. How long is it going to take to grow this church? Years? It's not going to just explode like I've seen some other places do. Well, that must be God closing a door for the work we're doing. The, the long process ahead is going to be difficult and dangerous and full of challenges. Is there any way we can make it quicker? I mean, if God is behind it, shouldn't it be more efficient? But it's not. Well, that must be God closing a door on the work we're doing. Wait a minute. The people that I'm going to be working with are going to, they're going to disagree with me and they're going to have nothing in common with me. I, don't, I just don't think God has me wired that way. This must not be the place for me. He wants me to fit in, right? That's the way that it'll work the best. This must be a closed door. You mean some of the people closest to me are going to abandon me? Well, that must be God closing a door. I'm being run out of the city, threatened and even physically harmed. That is obviously a closed door. But today I want to consider this. Maybe Fast and easy doesn't necessarily mean that God has opened a door, and slow and difficult doesn't necessarily mean that God has closed a door. It's really hard for us to accept that in our culture today, because we have everything we want at our fingertips. Everything in our world is immediate and instantly gratifying. But with God, well, he tells us that in Isaiah 55, 9, that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Our ways and thoughts are that we always want things done now. We want things done quickly. We want instant success, and we want success to look a specific way. We want success to find how we and the world around us always define it. We want the day of Pentecost every single time where 3,000 were added just like that. But sometimes, for reasons that we may never understand, we experience delay and difficulty, just like Paul's first missionary journey. Now, you may have faced a lot of delay and difficulty in your life, especially when it comes to your walk with God and his plan and purpose for you. Maybe you've prayed and prayed and prayed, and you feel like all you hear is silence Maybe you've waited and waited and waited, until you it feels like forever, and nothing seems to be happening. Maybe you've been either figuratively or literally beat up, kicked out, mocked, left for dead, and you don't know what you have to even show for it. Maybe you've actually quit, or at the very least thought about quitting. Like John Mark, you've deserted the mission. You've walked away and Now you don't think God or anyone else would ever want you back. Maybe success, as you've defined on the mission that God must have for you, seems elusive and most of the time completely unattainable. I think it's really easy for us to see the success of this first missionary journey for Paul and Barnabas because we read about it today and we read about these converts and we think, oh, that's great. And we read about the gospel spreading and, and we actually sit here today as a result of that. Part of the millions upon millions who have heard the gospel because of that first church and and even that first missionary journey. We even know that this first missionary journey produced other heroes of the faith. For example, a guy named Timothy, as in 1st and 2nd Timothy later on in the New Testament, is from the city of Lystra, which was one of those cities visited by Paul and Barnabas on that first journey. But with all the delay, and difficulties that Paul and Barnabas faced on that journey. And without that benefit of hindsight and where we sit today in history, there's only one way that they could have viewed that journey as a true big success. It's because they trusted that God's thoughts and God's ways were different than theirs, were higher than theirs. The length of time that it took them, the challenges that they faced, the opposition that rose against them, the people that didn't understand them, the number of converts that they counted – those things were all in God's hands, and therefore they were able to persevere through it all. And here, it's why we can believe Paul when he later writes about perseverance. He writes in Romans 5, 3-4, We also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. James writes in James 1, 3-4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you think there's a, a lack of character and maturity in American Christianity today, it's probably because in our impatient, fast-paced, get-it-done-now, instant gratification culture, we've failed to let perseverance finish its work. But before we point that out in others, because that's really easy to do, we need to look inward and ask ourselves, have I persevered? Am I willing to persevere? So let's talk about that real quick. I think one thing we need to do is to stop allowing the world's definition of success to overshadow God's definition of success. And here's what I mean by that. We need to be really careful about assuming that we can see the entire picture like God sees it. Remember, his ways and thoughts are not like ours. He has a completely different perspective that we don't have. The way we define success in this culture may not be how God has defined it for us at all. We need to trust him and persevere, knowing that God has a plan, and fulfilling the plan he has for us is more important than being successful to the culture around us. Also, let's strengthen each other by sharing our stories of victories and our stories of delay and difficulty. Paul and Barnabas did this. It says uh, there near the end of chapter 14, as they made their way back through the cities that they had already visited, that they strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith, saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And then later they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them. It strengthens and encourages all of us when we share life together and make this place a church where everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. That's what perseverance in this mission is all about. And finally, we can't afford to have quitters because there are consequences to quitting There are consequences for both the quitter and those who they quit on. And we see that later in the book of Acts when it comes to the situation with John Mark. But here is something really important. I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead in the book of Acts with this, but it's really important that we mentioned it today. John Mark got a second chance. And here's the cool thing. It was given to him later by Barnabas, one of the guys that he quit on. I love Barnabas. I'm so thankful for guys like him. Maybe you feel like a quitter when it comes to your walk with God or when it comes to the mission that he has put before you at some point. The good news is this. There are people just like Barnabas in this place. You may not have found anyone like that anywhere else in your life, but I'm telling you they are here ready to walk right beside you, ready to give you a second chance. And as a whole, this church will give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, because we don't want to give up on you. We want you to persevere, because we truly believe, based on the Word of God, that your steadfastness through delay and difficulty, when it comes to God's mission for you, will lead to success in the kingdom of God. And success in the kingdom of God is is pretty simple. It looks like this. There's a starting place for all of us, and it's believing that Jesus is the Son of God, and repenting of your sin and turning towards God and confessing that you believe in being baptized. That's the starting place for all of us. That's a successful starting place when it comes to the kingdom. And then after that, just being a light in this dark world, showing Christ's love to all those whom you come in contact with, who you encounter during your missionary journey, whatever that may be, whether it takes you across the room or across the office or across the hall or across the street or around the world. Remember, you are not in this alone, because beyond the support and encouragement that you may receive from other Jesus followers, Jesus himself is right beside you. The Bible is clear that Jesus' love for us never fails. It never gives up. It's clear that his love is constant, and above all, it's clear that his love is powerful enough to conquer death itself. When all else seems hopeless, persevere, because Jesus is with you. In just a moment, we're going to hear from Heather as she speaks to us about her missionary journey. But before we do that, let's pray this morning. God, we come to you today, and we just praise you for your constant love for us, a love that never fails. We ask that as you uh, guide us step by step, that, that you will not only reveal to us what our next steps should be, but you will also give us the perseverance that we need to make it through this life, and to complete the mission that you have for each of us, whatever that mission may be, and, and despite any delays or difficulties that we may encounter along the way. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Missions is for everyone. Every single person who is a Christian and who follows Jesus, you are called to missions. We're all telling people about Jesus. Like we should all be having conversations about him, planting seeds and watering seeds. Some people just do it in like in a further away place, you know? Some Like sometimes God calls us a little further away. I was in junior high when I went on my first mission trip. It's been really cool to see how God has used that to lead me on other mission trips as well. The summer after my freshman year at Ozark Christian College, I went to Hong Kong for six weeks and taught English to junior high age students. For the past two summers, I've been in a small country in the Middle East, and I was able to plan and facilitate kids' camps helping people. I was in a library. I would help check people out, have conversations with people, play chess, just sit around and talk and have coffee. That was a big kind of social thing, having people to come and talk over coffee. Uh, While I was there I was able to teach a English class for refugees from Iraq. We ended up turning that into a Bible study. We got to sit around and just read through a couple different gospel stories. there was a man who would come into the library and he would talk to the director of the library and I would kind of listen and join in sometimes. And he was struggling with Islam and the harsh requirements of their laws. He was asking about Christianity and just seemed very open to the spirit, open to hearing the gospel and so listening to the director kind of tell him, this is kind of what it means to follow Jesus. This is the freedom that we do have in him. That was cool to see while I was there. And then it was kind of sad to come home and not to be able to see what that turned into. There are a lot of refugees in this country. And I was really hoping that I would be able to, um, to do more outreach with them while I was there. I didn't get to do much this past summer, and so that was kind of sad. There's a season for everything, and sometimes we go through dry seasons that we don't see the fruit, and that's okay. That's part of it. Just remember that it's worth it. Stay in the Word, having God sing over you through His words. Everything that He says is true. Hold on to the promise that we will see fruit together. We're all planting seeds, we're all watering seeds, all along the way. One day, we'll all be together. I'll say, like, hey, I know you. Like, I talked to you for three minutes that one time about Jesus, or I prayed with you that one time. Like, and look where we are now, like, in the presence of God forever. Um, And so that excitement, that promise that we do have of forever with Him and with each other, that's definitely, that makes it all worth it missions is not for spiritual giants that's not the case at all everyone is just a child of the lord who's been saved and wants others to know him to be saved as well and so that plays out in different roles and so you can either be a sender you can pray for people you can encourage them you can give financially and Use the resources that you've been blessed with to send people to the fields. If you think that God might be calling you to a place, just go. Like go for a week. Like go for two weeks. Just see what it's like there. Talk to people. Talk to so many people and get confirmation. Have people come together and pray. Go visit a missionary on the field. Uh, if you can't do that, Skype with them. The first thing to do is to start. Just. Find different ways be creative. It's really not that hard to get online and find missionaries. First Church supports quite a few missionaries, and so join the missions team. Learn about what God is doing. Um, The ultimate goal is to see the whole world praising Him in the new heavens and the new earth.